Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, June 1st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, certainly not the only one, but the primary tool in this work, which is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they do. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 or send us an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. 
If you call 563-999-3581, if you have a comment or a question, please press 1 on your phone. That will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I will be able to turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. If you send us a question or a comment through email, we'll address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a voice or a message through email to let you know what day and time it was addressed on the show so you can listen back to the archives and hear the comments. So today's a Thursday. We will have a support group tonight. All the information you would need to join us for free or pass the information along to somebody else is available on the website at mindshiftersacademy.org mindshiftersacademy.org and we have someone with a hand up area code 520 you're in the air hi Dr. Tim can you hear me I'm barely hearing you is this Audrey yes but maybe there's something wrong with my volume of the phone can you hear me now Yes. Okay. When you can't, just um, tell me, and then I'll just have to put it in an email, my question. Okay. Presently. Well, I can hear you. What's the question? How can we help you? I'm doing my inner work, and I seem to – I fell in a hole, and I'm experiencing anger, I'm very angry, and I know the worksheet works, but I'm so deep in the hole. And can I explain what this is about? Sure. All right. I know it's inner work with inside of me, and the anger is inside of me. And this person came to my, into my field of awareness. And there's a lot of behaviors in this person that I am judging, judging big time, and <clears throat> serves as a mirror of what's going inside within myself. And it, uh, I'm sure it goes back, back a long, long time of the unresolved anger. And what I can figure it out is that in my childhood, my father, who had uh, the disease of alcoholism, when he got drunk, he was extremely, his behavior was atrocious very nasty, violent, abusive. This person who came into my field of awareness, he reminds me of that. Now, I know it's all within myself. I know this person that came into my field of awareness is a gift. Logically, I got that far. Emotionally, um, it's like I'm carrying a backpack. This happened a long time ago, and I want to get rid of the rocks and 
one of the rocks in the backpack is anger. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so is there a question for me in that? Yes. Can you help me shift or guide me toward Well, have you have you put this happiness. on a worksheet? Have you put this uh, on a worksheet? Can you tell okay. me my goal? Could you help me with my goal? Well, you know, one without you saying anything else, we could start creating goals. And they may or may not be helpful. But if you talked about the specific interaction between you and this other person that you're finding, you know, that, that you keep putting an interpretation on that interaction that leads you to generate anger, then the goal we come up with will probably be more productive. All right. Stand on that, please. So if you tell us something about, or if you tell whoever you're working with on the worksheet, you tell them something about, this is the dynamic that happened. When this person said or did this, when this person refused to say or do that, I had this emotion come up, this anger, anger. you're talking about. Right. Anger. But, but if you talk about the specifics of what this person did or didn't do that you're interpreting as being so offensive that it has you generating anger, then the goal you come up with will probably be more productive. So for instance, this person told you a big fat lie and then the goal would be, I want this person to be honest with me. Or let's say this person stole $50 from you or $50,000 from you. And then the goal would be, I want this person to respect my property or to return the money. And these different goals, when I cancel them, will take me to different parts of my mind where this trauma energy around this goal is loaded. Okay, this is going to be... Um... This is going to contain a lot of digging on my part. I I ponder it and chew it well, and maybe think, think, more th- think of it this way. Well, th- think of it this way, Audrey. Think about, and you don't have to tell anybody on the Internet show or anybody outside of yourself what this person did or what the interaction was. But if you think about it in this way, what this person did was so impatient what this person did was so disrespectful. What this person did was so dishonest. When you come up with that, and it's the right one, you'll feel the energy of your anger emotion getting stronger. All right. So and, then, then, and, then, we... and then your goal would be related to that. I want them to do or be the opposite of what they did. So it is disrespectful. Okay. So then your goal, you, 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 you have, I, Audrey, who am love, am feeling yes. this anger or rage. And what yes. happened is John Doe did this. And what, all you have to put in that, in that part C, you know, what, what happened was 
you know, some short descriptions so that you remember if you come back to this worksheet in two weeks or six years, what the particular worksheet was about. It's not that important what they did. What then you say is, my thought that's causing my rage is they disrespected me. What they did was deeply disrespectful. And then my goal, when I formulate the goal, will be I want this person to, to respect me, to treat me with love and respect, whatever. And now, when you cancel that goal, it will take you to a different part of your mind than if you just say, oh, I'm just so angry at this person. I want to, I want to be happy rather than angry. Okay, thank you, Dr. Tim. I, I, I am in such a muddle that I don't know why I'm even having trouble with this worksheet. <laughs> well, but... So that's as normal as breathing because that's what happens to us when we are tapped into one of our core issues. And you're saying you have a hunch that this is related to something with your parent. Well, our parents are some of the most powerful influences in our lives. So, of course, it makes sense that you would get triggered to intense emotion, and the more intense my emotion is, the less I'm going to be able to think straight. This is why when Dr. Rice teaches this seminar, or this workshop where he introduces the worksheet, he says, please pick an issue if you're going to do a worksheet that's only about a level, oh, three or four, two or three, one or two upset out of, out of a possible. Because if you pick something that has a higher intensity emotion to it, it's probably going to distort your logic. It's probably going to make it almost impossible for you to get good results on this worksheet. And then you'll walk away thinking the worksheet doesn't work. Right. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And as you were talking, I was gaining a more, uh, some more clarity of what was going on with my thoughts and the story that I tell about it. And it's almost like a string of beads. I could see one bead, and all of a sudden I identified that one bead, but that one bead articulates to another bead. And so on. And it just seems like, um, as you said, it's a core issue of mine. And so when that kind of thing happens, we strongly recommend that people get a partner who steps them through the worksheet or, you know, get a coach or attend the, the support group where you get stepped through the process. So when your emotions peak and you start to get agitated, that person can coach you to breathe or do some EFT tapping or gently bring you back to the the focus of the point on the worksheet where you got distracted and therefore you're you're tapping into this the ability of this other person to think logically because they're not getting distorted by the intense emotion that's distorting your perception. All right, I, um, I'm going to try and tune in tonight to the support group. I go to Mind Shifters Academy, and um, what time is it local time of where it originates from? Is it central it's time? In, it, it, it's in central time at 6.30 p.m. Okay, thank you. I mean, I've gained, uh, I, I'm, this, is, this has come to the surface for healing and I'm understanding it has 
And when you were explaining about the worksheet and how, what my response to it, and I'm saying, my gosh, you know, how come I don't understand this worksheet all of a sudden? I can't understand it. So then another bead comes up, and I was thinking to myself, oh, wait a minute. You know, you've done this, these worksheets. What happened to you? Are you, you know, and then I started going down the rabbit hole. Instead of yeah, being think, gentle well, what's, what's and kind with, with me? myself. Am I getting senile? Or, yeah, you start doubting yeah, yeah. your ability to function. Yeah, and it's not that. Right. It's most likely what happens to most of us. And I don't know if you've heard me say this, but we had a lot of times, you know, we had like, uh, I forget how many years that we had the support group, 16 or 17 years, um, where we were meeting in person. And we'd be sitting around a conference table after watching one of Dr. Michael Rice's videos, and someone would say, oh, I need to do a worksheet, and they'd start doing the worksheet. They would get so emotional, they couldn't talk. They would either be holding in sobs, or they would be not able to catch their breath. They were crying so hard. Routinely, not every week, but regularly, that would happen. And sometimes it would happen when somebody was talking about an issue that they thought, oh, it's just a little issue. I'll do a worksheet. I've got this thing that happened today. But all this stuff can be connected. And the next thing you know, they're in such an intense emotional upset that we put the worksheet aside and we start doing EFT tapping and breathing. And the whole group would tap with them until they can dispel enough of that intense emotional energy to bring their logic back online and then we get back to work on the worksheet thank you thank you for explaining this um i'm sure you explained it previously but now i'm understanding it on a different level because i'm experiencing whatever i'm experiencing (laughs) uh and well that's that's what happens to all of us yep you're very welcome, and if you if you can make it on okay, if you can make it on the group tonight, I'd be happy to help you step through a worksheet. Blessings, thank you. All right, blessings. So we still have about forty minutes left. Plenty of time for comments, conversation. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. Call that number and press one, just as Audrey did. And we can have a conversation. I, um, I, I would just like to uh, put in a plug for a really, really good book. Um, the more I listen to it, the more I think, yeah, I wish I could speak this articulately and, and eloquently about these issues. And... Um, I've mentioned the book before, but I'll mention it here again for this recording. The book title is You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. And the subtitle is Applying Internal Family Systems to Intimate Relationships by Richard C. Schwartz. He's written books like Internal Family Systems, IFS, uh, is the title. He's written books like No Bad Parts, and it's a wonderfully articulated way to understand um, the same kind of thing that Dr. Michael Rice gets at when he talks about 
the power person dynamic or um, the benefits that we get from a worksheet process or the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter tool. And um, it's hard for me to discern anymore because I've been doing this work for so long. Today begins the 50th year of my year of, of doing therapy. I finished 49 years yesterday. So when you in a field that long and you're reading these various books, sometimes it sounds just as natural as the next breath to me, and other people are thinking, what gobbledygook is he speaking? So I will say with caution that I think the way Dr. Schwartz talks about these issues can be understood by many, many people, even if they've got no deep psychological background. And that's one of the, the reasons that I would even talk about a book like this because it's not offered free and you can't download it as a PDF. Most of the things that I refer to on, on this Internet show and in the support groups are things people can get access to for absolute no money, free. You can get the worksheet for free. You can do EFT tapping with Brad Yates for free. You can attend our support groups for free, etc. However, you have to buy a book like this from Richard Schwartz, and I don't recommend those unless I think they've got extraordinary value, and this would be one of them. And I would mention that's rare for me to do before I've finished a book. Usually I won't until I've been all the way through it, but because I've read a couple of his other books, reread The Internal Family System several times years ago, I have confidence that he's not going to go off the rails before that book is finished. So, questions, comments are welcome. 563-999-3581. We have plenty of time for a comment or a question. Um, if nobody raises a hand, I will go back to uh, digging into some of the essays from the book A Walk in the Physical by, by uh, Christian Sundberg. Susan, is this you? Uh, yep, it is. Hi, Dr. Tim. Welcome. Yeah, when are you going to put up that um, newest podcast that you just uh, Oh, you're did? outing me. <laughs> oh, no. You're outing me. <laughs> I sent you an advanced copy because it's not going to be published for two or three weeks, but oh. I sent you the unedited, the unedited I loved it. copy. Right. Oh, good. Well, and, and, I, and, and I'll, just, I'll, I'll just let people know that the reason I did that specifically to you is because I was in the middle of the interview with Sandy Wilder, and Sandy mm -hmm. Wilder is in southern Illinois, just above St. Louis, Missouri, and he has created the Educare Unlearning Institute. Mm. And when I heard that, and Dr. Michael Rice has talked so much over the years about how the, the root of the word education is educare, it doesn't mean properly beat up or stuffed in. It means to draw out. I was anxious to interview Sandy Wilder. In the middle of the interview with Sandy Wilder, he started talking about deep listening, 
there's a book title that I need to write down the next time I listen to it about listening to animals. Deep, mm. deep listening to animals because they're just another part of the consciousness. And I thought about how you were talking the other day, something someone had given you to read that led you to a new level of understanding about how everyone is a reflection of you. Mm. That's why I sent you that before it, it was published. Oh, so I appreciate it. Thanks. What? Did you have a comment or a question about it? Well, I did email you because you're off the record part. I imagine you're going to cut that first little conversation you had with Sandy about the Enneagram and so forth. But I thought the Enneagram has waltzed across my path many times, and I've I just avoid it because I tried to dig in a few times and. I had a lot of, I should probably do a worksheet on it because my reaction was, why would anyone want to pick everything apart to that extent? It seemed like extreme self-centered navel watching. That's my reaction. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to say it. Yep, yep. If if that's how it struck you, that's a good way to say it. (laughs) Well, I just thought there's got to be, a more expedient way to find out who you are and then get on with your life. But I respect Richard Rohr very much, and he uses it a lot. And I get a daily meditation from him, but very often even his style seems, it doesn't grab me where I live, kind of. It's more intellectual to me. That doesn't mean, and he's, He's brilliant. Once in a while he says something and it just hits just right. But I often delete the daily meditation even before I've read it. I don't even give it a chance. And I'm sort of not giving the Enneagram a chance either. And I emailed you and asked you if maybe we could find a way into it that yielded some good results this time, if you were interested in doing that on the radio show. Well, um, as you heard me say, and and the other listeners, when they get to this, if they listen to that podcast, they will not hear me talk about that. That's kind of in the in the pre-interview conversation. Right. I know you you turned it over and you it, said, "Well, hello, Sandy." I mean, you sort of started the interview after that discussion, and I got it. I right. thought you'd probably and, start. And, and that's what, yeah, that's that's what I do most times, and so. What happened was, in the pre-interview conversation, I said some things about who I am and why I'm having the conversation with Sandy, and that prompted him to bring up the Enneagram. He said, have you done your Enneagram? I'm, I'm seeing and hearing things in what you're saying that are, you know, making me think of what your Enneagram type is. And that's when I said... Mm-hmm. I have never, even though I've had exposure to it at least three times in a formal training session, I have never felt comfortable with it, felt drawn to it. It 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 strikes my brain the way a spreadsheet full of numbers from a certified 
public accountant would strike my brain. The numbers <laughs> just start to swim and spin on the page. Mm-hmm. And so I know people that I value their opinion. I think they're very bright and they're well-intentioned, and they love that tool. Mm-hmm. My reason for not using it isn't because I find it's like this ultra-high-level navel-gazing that you talk about, but mine is because my brain just spins and doesn't go anywhere. I do all kinds of other... I have had all kinds of other trainings with different personality assessments and typologies, the 16PF, the Myers-Briggs, the MMPI, the list goes on and on, the DISC method, etc. And for whatever reason, those various ways of assessing my per- my personality and style resonate well enough for me to follow it and get value out of it and use it with patience. The Enneagram wasn't mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. So I well, might benefit Sandy... by doing a series of worksheets on it and, and, and get to the point where I, I could get value from it. I just haven't felt the need. So mm-hmm. in response to your question, because clearly there are some wonderful people, and Sandy's one of them, who finds great value in that work, um, maybe I will find somebody who's well-versed in it and do an interview with them. And if it's a good fit, compatibly, et cetera, maybe we could share that on the Internet show or have them be interviewed on the Internet show and maybe start working with it. But in order for that to happen, I would have to get a different level of comfort with it. Yeah. Well, you know what? It pops to mind that Richard Rohr might be very very happy to interview. He's he's a very uh, accessible person. Oh, you said dinner R-O-H-R. with him? <laughs> <laughs> Did I say something that serious about it? No, I just... Well, you you my said daughter, he's very accessible. <laughs> uh, well, my daughter I will, met him. I will, be happy, I will be happy to reach out to him. And if you, on your yeah. recommendation, I'll be happy to reach out to him and see if we can. I mean, it's been surprising. Every once in a while I get surprised with people who have quite a bit of status who are willing to do an interview on such a, a, a low populated uh, listening audience as that on your mind podcast. So I'll look into it. Good. That's great. And I'd be very eager to hear, you know, to, to find a way into that tool because I haven't really given it the time of day either. Well, it is, uh, aside from the MMPI, it's second only to the MMPI in complexity. Mm-hmm. And the MMPI, the, MMPI? Is the, Minnesota multi- the, the MMPI is the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. It's over 300 and some questions the last time I, I was working with it. And it, you, you fill it out. It used to be there weren't any computers, so it would be a pencil in a circle, and you fill out these circles in answer of your questions and and tracks everything from soup to nuts, A to Z, hair follicles to toenails. It's just like everything about your personality and whether or not wow. you're, you're whether or not you're faking it, whether or not you're trying to be deceitful, whether or not you're trying to put on a good face or a bad face, you're trying to talk yourself down. It all these things are woven into that 
it used to be, I'm not sure because I, I, I've gotten out of the testing thing, but it used to be the most complex, scientific-based, statistically-based, and the most researched psychological device that we had. Mm-hmm. And my experience mm-hmm. was that the Enneagram is second only to that in complexity. Mm. Wow. It's got layers well, and layers and layers and layers of stuff that you can dig into with the Enneagram. Mm. Which is why people like I it was, when they like it. Sandy said it was an ancient tool, which is, I didn't know that, that it's been around so long. I did not know that either. I, as I said, I have not been a student of the work because yeah. the three different times that I've been exposed to it in seminars, I, I didn't, I couldn't track it enough intellectually to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And there were simpler things like the 16PF or the DISC or the Myers-Briggs that provided very, very useful information about typology and patterns for interacting with the world that were very useful. So I didn't feel the need to mm-hmm. explore the Enneagram. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I will reach out to Richard Rohr. And, and part of that is because your, your experience is that Richard Rohr is very well versed in the Enneagram. Yeah, he is. Okay. We will see what we see. All right. This book you recommended, um, the Richard Schwartz book, is it S-C-H or S-H? S-C-H. Okay. And is it an audio book, too? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. I'm listening good. to it, and it's in, it's in the author's voice. Mm-hmm. And this happens like sometimes. Yeah. yeah, but as happens sometimes with these books when they're this good, I get about halfway through and then I say, I better have a Kindle copy or a paperback to refer back to because it isn't very easy right. for me to search through the audio. Yeah. And, and that's what happened that's with a, the My Big Toe book. Um, there are so many acronyms he uses in My Big Toe that I... I ordered the Kindle so I can mm-hmm. go back through it. I did the same with the Sunberg book. I got the audio book first, and I thought, okay, I've got to get the hard copy. And they're both very useful and very different. The things I get from reading are often quite different from listening. And I'll listen to an essay probably for the fourth or fifth time, and I think I've never heard it before. It's one of those books. So. Well, my husband and I have been married for 55 years today, and I turned 79 years old yesterday. And I had Well, congratulations on both counts. I know. And yesterday was so fun. The sweetest thing happened, and I think of it as the direct 
outcome of The Gentle Art of Blessing and the Sunberg book. The family, the local family here, son, uh, wife, two boys, my sister and Tim and I went out to this very fancy restaurant, a seafood restaurant, absolutely fantastic. We're sitting in big round table and right next to us is a smaller round table with three very raucous, fancily dressed black women who were celebrating one of their birthdays. And as soon as they started singing, we joined in at our table because we were going to celebrate a birthday at our table. And they looked at us, their eyes bugging out, and they just got it. They were so excited. And then they sang to our table, and then it turns out there was another birthday table. And so the whole place became this love fest. And I really felt as if we were just one very happy bunch of people. And it was just a very happy event. And I I thought, you know, my heart was open in a way that I don't think I've been able to do before. And I think it was just because, well, having my people around me all in a pile is fantastic. But then to have these other people come in and be part of my family all of a sudden, it was amazing. Beautiful. And you're attributing that to the gentle art of blessing because... Well, when I go into a place, I think of Byron Katie first. I think, everybody in here loves me. They just don't know it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great line and from Byron. Isn't that the best? And then I sort of do a blanket blessing of everybody. I think, I love you and I bless you. And if I have time and I don't get distracted, I might my eyes might fall on a person and I'll spend a few moments in the blessing of that person. But, you know, when people go out to dinner, they're usually feeling pretty happy to be finished with work and they may be dressed up. In this case, a lot of people were. There were some kids there, though. It was was just, and it was a beautiful night and we walked away from the car and, um, so it was very easy to practice that, but that that's a kind of precedent of being open. And then I figured, I mean, the woman, well, I said something to her that I don't know how she took, but I have one dress to my name and I have one skirt and a blouse. At this point, I run around in pants most of the time, but I got really gussied up and the woman said, you look beautiful. And I said, you look beautiful too. And then she looked at me like, and showed me these long fingernails all painted, which I would never do trying to play the piano. It's not helpful to have long nails like that. But I said to her, you know, I'm so unused to being dressed up. I feel as if I'm in drag. And then I thought, oh my God, I don't know whether she's, I don't know what, you know, what side of the fence she is actually <laughs> at all. And she just, she she just busted out laughing. <laughs> she got it in the friendliest possible way. So anyway, wonderful. Well, it sounds my... like your 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 practice of blessing and other work you're doing is helping you live in a more relaxed state more often. Yeah. Mhm. It is, and you know, I went on this because I didn't want to go on a statin drug, so I went on a 
a keto diet where I was doing intermittent fasting, and it, I was having a hard physical reaction to that. Fatigue, headaches, dizziness. I wasn't hungry. I was amazed. I wasn't interested in eating when I wasn't supposed to. And even when hunger hit, it was just a very basic kind of hunger, not a craving, just a sort of like an empty tank. I need to put something in there feeling. But after three weeks of that, I have this little watch that'll take blood pressure and glucose levels. And they hadn't budged. If anything, they'd gone up. And I thought, the heck with this. My birthday's coming. I'm going to eat ice cream, and I'm going to have a good time and see what happens. Well, I got my energy back. Who knows in a week I may have a complete crash. And I'm not going wild, but I I don't know, Dr. Tim. I'd love to know who's cut out for that sort of discipline because it looks as if I'm not. Well, and it isn't so much discipline for a lot of people as it is that diet works better with their body chemistry so some people go on that kind of a diet just like when some people do fasting they have more energy other people when they do fasting they get headaches they're fatigued they're you know and it's not all bodies are functioning the same. Not all people break out in hives when they eat strawberries or shellfish, right? We just don't, (laughs) they don't know about what these synergistic chemical reactions are going to be when human beings ingest substances. Mm -hmm. So you tried it and it didn't energize you and it didn't help your blood sugar and your blood pressure. So try something else. Right. It's very hard to get the bottom line word on anything. With all the stuff on the Internet and with allopathic and homeopathic medical people not communicating. That's right, because nobody knows enough to know everything. Yeah. This is why people like the, the three different chiropractic families that I know of that used physical manipulation. And the idea of an innate intelligence within the human body that does the healing, all three of them trained at, mm-hmm. at the same or, dim- or different places, but the same core idea that it's the body that does the healing. And when you give it mm-hmm. what it needs, whether it's physical manipulation or electrical stim or ice and, I know, ice and heat alternating, etc., the body will heal itself. These three different families, and there may be more. There's also the Psyche, which is another one. As chiropractors, they got so frustrated that they were doing everything they knew to do on a physical level, and the the patients would either get temporarily better or they wouldn't get better, and they would have to keep doing the adjustments and keep doing the electrical stim or the alternating hot and cold, and so they went looking for there must be something else going on here. And each mm. of them, in their own way, stumbled across energy medicine or acupressure or nutrition, or and they wove them into systems that help people look at, yes, the physical structure and alignment of the spine, but also nutrition and toxicity and emotions. Mm-hmm. And two of the three 
came to the conclusion that the first thing to look at after you do the structural alignment of the spine, because these are chiropractors, beginning with that, the next thing to look at is the emotions. Don't look mm. for toxicity. Don't look for nutrition because more often than not, if you make an adjustment to somebody's misaligned spine or whatever, torqued muscle, dislocated joint, etc., if it doesn't hold and, and they get healthy and go on and live a you know, flexible, comfortable life, then the next thing is to look at the emotional component because nine times mm. out of ten a stuck emotion, some kind of a trauma, a resonant frequency that's stirred up any time we think about the issue that was happening when I got in the car accident or when I tweaked my ankle, etc. And so there are other energies going on that people don't know about. So when you say it's so hard getting a definitive answer, it's because we're living with such a tiny, tiny subset of information. You know, you'll you'll get this if you really listen to a walk in the physical with Christian Sundberg. But where he's getting most of it is from Thomas Campbell, and Thomas Campbell is this massive mind who's saying, "Hey, look, the more we learn, the more we study, the more we real- we realize how little we actually know." So all of these people who are walking around as experts. They're experts in a very tiny subset of information. Mm-hmm. Because even for doesn't matter who we are as human beings, we're only perceiving the world. Most of us, the vast, vast majority of us, are only perceiving the world through our five senses. The vast majority of us don't take time to tap into our intuition, don't ask to be shown, don't do deep meditation, and that's just one other way to get information other than the five senses. So don't be so surprised that your physician or your chiropractor or your functional medicine specialist doesn't have all the answers for you because we're all working with a tiny fraction of 1% of information of the world we're actually living in and of our bodies themselves. And we're trying to process that and make sense of the other 99.999% of the information with this tiny processor we call the intellectual mind, the logical mind. Mm -hmm. It's ludicrous. So we really have to settle. Well, no, you don't have to settle. You just just don't keep exploring the same way and beating your, your head against a brick wall of the logical mind trying to make sense of it all or go to the the medical doctors who are relating to you as though you're a hunk of physical matter when our scientists have proven it's all just energy. Do you remember in the interview with Sandy Wilder, the story he told about the miracle, magical healing he had? He told about, I remember he told about his his wife, his girlfriend, and her science uh, Christian science yes, but healing after, in that. But, right. But after that, he was on the soccer field and he made a move. Oh, yeah. And his foot slipped right. and he ended up doing the splits and he felt yeah. something tear. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and then he couldn't walk right, and he was on crutches. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he, it was near Christmas time or something or birthday or whatever, and he went to get a present for his brother, and something right. hit him in the middle of the store and said, wait a minute, God wouldn't want me to not be able to function. And the next thing you know, he put the crutches down and gently started to walk, and the pain was gone. Now, there is nothing that we know of at the conscious logical level with physical matter, with physiology, with orthopedic surgeons, with neurologists, with chiropractors. There's nothing we know of from that logical level that would explain that. So I'm not saying you just have to settle. I'm just saying you might want to look in a way in an area that's more expansive or lets you tap into a higher level of integrated intelligence and energy flow than what you're going to be able to access with your conscious logical mind. When I was saying settle, I didn't finish the sentence before you jumped in. (laughs) What I meant was then we have to settle into ourselves and be with ourselves and be our own physician, really. That would be a different approach. That might yield very different results, yes. Mm. I guess one of the things that stymies me then is when I go to my my heart doctor, because I have a pacemaker, um, he says, you have to do this drug. And I did start it finally after three weeks of trying this keto diet, which yielded no obvious results. I, I caved and started doing that. But he's so sure. He, you need this. And I called my brother, and he's been on one for years. Turns out both of my sisters who are still living are on one. So I thought, well, they're not dead yet, and they seem to be okay. Maybe I'll do it. But his certainty is is very um, seductive. And I have a nutritionist who is just as certain that I should definitely not be on that statin. And I've got to set, settle in yeah, and just say, what's my truth? What do I say? So and, I'm going to try and, to and when you, and, and when you try it, how does it feel? Right. Yeah. And and uh you know it it's I like that you use the word seductive. You said it's seductive. Well, mm-hmm. certainty is seductive to us. It's one of the things that Christian Sundberg talks about, it's one of the things that Thomas Campbell talks about that we want you know a level of permanence and certainty and so we abandon actual science, and I don't mean by that physics, I mean the process of doing your own first-hand experiential learning. Yeah. So you're looking for things that show you results that you can actually feel, and if it doesn't give you measurable results, and I don't mean by measuring it with a yardstick or a caliper, I mean in your own life experience, then let it go and do something else. That's what I mean mm-hmm. by science. It's that educated trial and error approach. And yeah. and if and and that's really the only thing that makes sense, especially when you look at how unhealthy our culture is and you look at all of the people who want to be experts. 
and and they and they may be experts in their tiny little subset of experience and perception. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. one of my favorite lines is, "There's a lot more going on here than we know about." Mm-hmm. And that will always be the case. That's really how good that, to be reminded of. Well, and how does we, that feel we, when you when when you're when you're seductively attracted to certainty? How does that feel? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel very good. No, it unless doesn't. you unless you dismantle the parts in you and the beliefs and the conclusions in you that generate discomfort in response to that observation. This is just an observation. It's not, it's not a dogma. It's not, the fact that we are only able to perceive a tiny fraction of what there is going on around us is just a simple, direct observation. No dogma needed, no belief, no adherence to anybody's principles, no, no one to follow. So if, if the actuality of our lives is something that we choose to interpret in a way that generates discomfort, we could change the way we interpret it. So if there's a part of me that's craving or feels seduced by certainty, and I know logically that's a trap because there's so much going on here that I can't even begin to perceive yet, I would be well served to dismantle the roots of my discomfort since the uncertainty is not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> it sure isn't. <laughs> well, th- you're kind of reminding us that we're the expert on ourselves and we have permission to settle there and take everything in, but come back to the self and not just sell out to some very impressive authority out there, whoever and whatever it's like and however much they're charging, which is another thing. And and whoever and however you might judge somebody as being impressive. Yeah. Well, but it's Im- the way Im- they speak. You, 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 you've heard the, the age-old adage that impression is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> <laughs> Impressiveness you, is in the eye of the, of the impressed. <laughs> All right. Gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. What well, seems so impressive could... to you may not be so impressive to someone else. Yeah. A lot of things are tying tying themselves together as you talk about this. You know, I belonged to a religious cult when I was a teenager because the leader had the truth, and I wanted it, and he had it. It took me a while to realize he didn't have it any more than anybody else did, but there was a lot of carnage left. He was abusing his younger parishioners and so forth, and I was one of them, but I escaped a lot because I was in college by then and old enough to know this isn't right and get away. But, uh, and you've talked about not pedestalizing people and that those are examples of pedestalizing. I didn't even realize it. Um, 
it's not an emotional thing in the case of a doctor, or maybe it is, but if they speak with a certain amount of of authority, and in the case of one nutritionist I've worked with off and on, who charges an arm and a leg, the fact that she can charge that tells me that she knows something. And it's good to have that correction, too. Yeah. And she probably knows something, and it may be of great value to some people. And when you take, you know, access that knowledge, it doesn't give you as good results, feel free to let go of it and move on to something else. And understand mm-hmm. that no matter who we are and how much we know or are an expert in one field or another, what we know is only a tiny fraction of what there is going on around us and in us and through us. Right. So I just realized that uh, someone else has a hand up. I think it might be Celinda. Let's say hello before we run out of time. Is it Celinda? Yes, it is. <laughs> I can Welcome. find the mute button. <laughs> yeah, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I always enjoy you, your and Susan, Susan, your conversation, and Tim, yours. Um, I really would add my approval, that's not the right word, my encouragement that you do uh, reach out to Richard Rohr because I have had um, some, I've done some reading with him and some of the uh, online um, meditations with him and stuff. Um, I too have not kept up with him but he is one of the renegade priests in the Catholic Church. I think he's quite mystical. There are times when he talks when he sounds just like the Aramaic gospel, and so I think you might enjoy him, Dr. Tim and Susan. Well, um, I, yeah. I, 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 I know of him and enjoy him and have the same assessment that you do. Right? Mm-hmm. He is He's tapped into things that are not just the standard religious prescription. Right. Agreed. Yeah. And the fact, Dr. Tim, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Susan. I was just going to say, your Catholic background, you'll have a good connection with him right away because he's a a loving critic of the whole background that he, he was a priest out of and still is, managed to stay within the Catholic Church and yet totally original thinker. Yeah, by his toenails. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like Matthew Fox, that too. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the priests that have gone mystical, and whether they've been excommunicated or not, um, I'm just really drawn to the mystics of any tradition. So that works. Uh, that would be a fun interview, I think, if you decide it is, Dr. Tim. Well, I'll reach out to him and let you know what happens. But we have uh, exhausted our time, so thank you so much, both of you. I'll mute you so you can listen into the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks.
So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio and today is Thursday, the first day of June 2023 and our call-in number is 569-99-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us and as always we'd love to hear your comments and questions for you to direct the way that you need this show to go. How can we support you? And I'll give Michael a moment to dial in. We've been reading out of uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And then Michael will add in how it is uh, in alignment or not with uh, this work. And so far we have found that it is. They've been talking about the inner voice and uh, the voice in your head and who are you. And now we're on the lucid self. And so it says, now let's move from the small screen to the big one. Let's study consciousness using the example of a movie. When you go to a movie, you let yourself get drawn in. It's part of the experience of watching the movie. With a movie, you use two senses, seeing and hearing. And it's very important that these senses synchronize. You wouldn't get as involved in the film if they didn't. Imagine if you were watching a James Bond movie and the soundtrack didn't synchronize with the scene. I'm going to stop there actually the other day. Michael and I were watching a YouTube video on gardening and they were the voice was talking about one garden aspect and the picture and the movement of the mouth was talking about another one and it was like really challenging to stay in that because it was like two different things pulling you in two different directions. So yes, I totally get that one. Um, instead of getting drawn into the magical world of the movie, you would remain very aware that you were sitting in a theater and that something was wrong. But because soundtracks and scenes normally synchronize perfectly, movies capture your awareness and you forget that you're sitting in the theater. You forget your personal thoughts and emotions and your consciousness gets pulled into the film. It's actually quite phenomenal to contemplate the difference between the experience of sitting next to strangers in a cold, dark theater versus being so absorbed in the movie that you are totally unaware of your surroundings. In fact, with an engaging film, you may go for the full two hours without any awareness of yourself. So the synchronization of sight and sound is very important if your consciousness is to become absorbed in the movie. And that's just two of your senses. What will happen when your experience of a movie includes smell and taste? Imagine that you're experiencing a film in which someone is eating and you taste what they taste and you would surely get caught in that one. The sensory input has doubled, and therefore the number of objects drawing on your consciousness has also doubled. Sound, sight, taste, smell. And we haven't mentioned the big one yet. Would you even go to a theater that has touch? When they get all five senses working together, you don't stand a chance. If they all synchronize, you'll be completely absorbed into the experience. Then again, not necessarily. Imagine you're sitting in the theater, and even with this overwhelming sensory experience, you still become bored with the movie. It just isn't capturing your attention, so your thoughts start to wander. You begin thinking about what you'll do when you get home. You start thinking about something that happened to you in the past. After a while, you're so lost in your thoughts that you're hardly aware that you're watching a movie. This occurs despite the fact that your five senses are still sending you all of these movie messages. This can only happen because your thoughts can't can still occur independently of the movie. They provide an alternative place for the consciousness to focus. Now imagine that movies are made not now imagine that movies are made 
that not only engage the five senses, but also make your thoughts and emotions synchronized with what's happening on the screen. With this movie experience, your hearing, seeing, tasting, and settling begin feeling the character's emotions and thinking the character's thoughts. The character says, I'm so nervous. Should I ask her to marry me? And suddenly insecurity wells up inside of you. Now you have the full dimension of the experience, five physical senses plus thoughts and emotions. Imagine going to that movie and getting plugged in. Careful, that would be the end of you as you know yourself. There would be no object of consciousness that is not synchronized with that experience. Any pl- any place your awareness falls would be part of the movie. Once the movie gets control of the thoughts, it's over. It's not you in there saying, I don't like this movie, I want to leave. That would take an independent thought, but your thoughts have been taken over by the movie, and now you are completely lost. How will you ever get out? As scary as it sounds, that is your predicament in life because all of the objects you're aware of are synchronized. You get sucked in and are no longer aware of your separateness from the objects. The thoughts and the emotions move in accordance with the sights and the sounds. It all comes in and your consciousness gets totally absorbed in it. Unless you're fully seated in witness consciousness, you're not back there being aware that you're the one watching all of this. That is what it means to be lost. The lost soul is the unconsciousness that has dropped to the place where one human's thoughts, emotions, and sensory perceptions of sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell are all synchronized. All these messages come back to one spot, and then the consciousness, which is capable of being aware of anything, makes the mistake of focusing on that one spot too closely. When the consciousness gets sucked in, it no longer knows itself as itself. It knows itself as the objects that it is experiencing. In other words, you perceive yourself as these objects. You think you are the sum of your learned experiences. Something to think about. And, you know, I can uh, relate, you know, a lot of times we have used the example of movies and, and that, you know, you're, you're safe and sound, you're in the living room or whatever, curled up in your favorite chair covered with your comforter and totally safe and you're watching a horror movie and the next thing you know, your heart's beating super fast and, and it's like you're terrified. And I can remember doing that when I was a child. We watched the Hitchcock movie, The Birds. And at the end of the movie, I had to walk up the stairs to get to my bedroom. And I was terrified. And it's like I was totally safe in my house. But the vibration of the sounds and the, and the flickering of the lights, and I got so absorbed in it, it was like it was real. And it impacted the way that I felt. And that's um, how we go through life a lot of times. Things are happening and uh, our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings are all responding to it. And it's not real. But we make it real. And I'll turn it over to you, Michael. I can hear you talking through the wall, but you're not coming through the speaker. Can hear me through the wall, but not through the window. Eh? Okay, I'm here. My mute button was on. Excuse me. All right. Anyway, I started to say that the, you reading that reminded me of a film that I watched, you know, some time back, and in it there was a crash scene, you know, cars crashing and smashing, and I was as engaged as what you're talking about, and it, just at the last flicker of a second, it was like something wasn't right about 
this car crash. So I rolled back and I watched it. And while I wasn't engaged and the sound, you know, I wasn't riding with the soundtrack, it was very clear that these were toy cars just being thrown around. You know, it's just so clear. But, you know, being engaged in the sound of it, it, it was amazing for me because I went back and played it a couple of times. It was amazing how when I let the soundtrack play and the soundtrack added a realism that almost disappeared from my visual uh, reproduction of it, the fact that these were obviously toy cars that were just being, you know, rolled around. And uh, it's it's interesting how one sense can change what the other senses do. And in particular, what we can do with our minds when we choose to be fully engaged in what the mind is producing for us. <clears throat> you know, the, the personal code evaluation you've heard us talk about before, it's a, a device that we use or a, an evaluation that we use to give people feedback on where the holes are in their minds, where there's, there's blockage and where things need to be learned. And the most common place for a low score to show up where there's a problem is in the score, the uh, scoring um, scale for truth, and that most people—that's a, a big challenge for most people—is blockage of truth and recognizing how that works, which kind of ties into what we're speaking of here. And that is that when we're engaged with our minds and we choose to believe that what the mind is producing is truth. And you can always tell that your mind's lying to you when there's hostility or fear moving. It's never the truth if there's hostility and fear engaged. They're markers for the fact that the mind is lying. <clears throat> but what happens is the mind's in a lie, and we swear that must be the truth. Some people have labeled it things like alternative facts. What happens is that nine-bit space, and we've talked about the Harvard research that showed, this goes way back in the 50s, that showed that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity happening, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. Tiny, tiny, tiny framework of what is moving in the mind. So, you know, they've got people hooked up to electrodes measuring 10,000 brain cells firing, and yet in that time frame, all that's available is nine bits of data. When that nine-bit space is filled, and it's filled with a lie, but we call our lie truth, then there's no room in the mind for truth. And so we live in blockage of truth. For those who in years ago did laws of living with us, you'll remember that we actually used to teach that. If you look back in your old laws of living manual, we called it blockage of personal error. <clears throat> and then, oh, this goes back 25 years ago now, I was teaching the laws of living class and processing with someone and they're harping on and putting their lie forward 
and insisting that their lie was the truth. And it just, you know, it was like a total turnaround for him. As I click, oh, it's not blockage of truth. This person, or pardon me, it's not blockage of personal error, which we used to teach errantly. This person is seeing their error perfectly. The problem isn't seeing their error. The problem is they're calling their error truth. <laughs> and once you call your error truth, then you're in blockage of truth. There's no room in the mind for truth to show up. And that's the problem with denial. You know, this, this whole degradation of the mind starts with denial. And, of course, that's when either I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. Now, to think that could possibly happen is just so crazy. Something's moving inside of me. Why is it moving inside of me? Because it's there. Can something else trigger what's inside of me into action? Yes. But can they cause it to be in me? No. So when I say to somebody, and, you know, this is, you know, right back to the language of how you join the one world universal religion of blame. You made me mad. You made me sad. You hurt me. They disturbed me. They upset me. That's the problem out there. Well, when I use that kind of language, what I'm insistent saying to my mind is, mind, don't show me the truth. I want to believe this lie. Fill my nine-bit space with a lie. And that means that I have to hide the truth from myself. And most people live in blockage of truth most of their lives. That's why the majority of conversation, you know, listen to the political speaker, even listen to the, the theologian at the front of the church, you know, the, the rabbi, the priest, the minister, listen to them. And yes, and then when that happened, how did that make you feel? Listen to the psychologist or the psychiatrist. Go, go check out. I've done this. Go sit in, in uh, one of the big bookstores and just go through and, and read theologian after theologian, psychologist after psychologist, psychiatrist after psychiatrist, and they all eventually come up with a thought, or pretty much all of them come up with a thought that goes, and how did that make you feel? As though something outside of you could possibly be the cause of what's moving inside of you, or that could possibly make you feel anything. Now, again, can something out there resonate what's in here? Yes, but the cause of my feeling is what's moving inside of me. And when I recognize that, then I recognize that each time I'm in that state of blockage of truth, and in blockage of truth, in essence, what I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to my unconscious, you know, where those 10,000 brain cells are firing, okay, mind, I know that it's something in me that's the cause of this, but don't you dare make me look at it. Don't you show it to me. You build me a picture. Let's see. Who am I going to take today? Is it going to be Bill, Harry, Mary, or Hortense? Oh, it's Hortense. Okay. So build me a picture that Hortense is the reason I'm feeling this. And out of the mind energy, out of the thought disorders that are moving in me, my mind has to obey those instructions. And so what I do, you know, when you understand how the mind works, you realize that the mind is an evidential device. I mean, when you're only looking at nine bits of data, measurable units of electrical activity out of 10,000 firing, obviously you're only looking at evidence. 
And the only evidence that most people ever get to see is evidence of their own BS. That's belief system, by the way. Notice if you have a different reality for those initials, BS brings up something different for you than belief system. You probably know what those other initials are because that's what most people think of those initials. But it's the mind that's causing. It's the mind that's at the root of everything that we see as a construct within it. And one of the objectives of this work is to choose to honor truth. And if you're honoring truth, you couldn't possibly even think of engaging in a conversation about alternative facts. Choose to honor truth and to learn to take responsibility for everything that's moving within you, whatever it is. And the beauty of doing that is that your why is this happening to me again experience will tend to start to disappear when you do that. Because the only reason, you know, many people misinterpret the why is this happening to me again experience. When they hear the title of my book and I'm talking to them, they'll say things like, yes, they're doing it to me again. And my response is, no, no, that's not the why is this happening to me again experience. Your mind is doing it to you again, and you've projected it into your brain's image of them. But it isn't that somebody 30 years ago did it, and then 20 years ago, and 25 years ago, and 27, and 19, and 18, and 16, and 14, and just yesterday. It's that your mind is generating the same realities and while you're going, they are the cause of it, you instruct your mind to keep the truth hidden from you. Choosing to honor truth creates resolution in that arena. Once you choose to honor truth, then your mind is able to say to you, oh, well, you know, we got this little thing down here that we've been blaming dozens of people for all our lives, but guess what? Here's the truth about it. This is yours, and it's about you. Now, the power in that is when I realize that it's mine and it's about me, I'm now empowered to change it. But as long as I think it's being caused by somebody else, I can't change a darn thing. So it's moving out of that state of block to truth and choosing to honor truth that makes the difference. And that's a key part of this whole puzzle of self-healing and self-awareness. Again, remember when you're looking at nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing, the mind has selected the data that you're able to see. It's a great line in The Course in Miracles. The Course in Miracles says, perception is a choice. And not only that, it says that perception is a skill made up by you to take the place of what the Creator gave you in creation. In other words, take the place of truth. So could you imagine giving up perception Could you imagine saying to yourself, okay, 
I'm willing to live without perception any longer, recognizing that it's a skill made up by me to displace the actuality of life. Everything's going to change when you choose to engage in that one, as it should. Because in mass, when we as human beings recognize our human humanness is the active presence of love, we then have the opportunity to choose to live in truth continuously and undo what is most likely for most people a thousand generations of lies. A thousand generations of hostility or fear pointed at everybody else and sometimes even pointed at self. You know, it's interesting in the Aramaic language, the word neighbor means anybody that you think about. If you're thinking about yourself, you are your own neighbor. So yes, somebody can certainly stand in the mirror and rant and rage at themselves just like they would someone else when they're in blockage of truth. Choosing to honor truth, choosing to bring the mind back into alignment, why is the mind in blockage of truth? Because I've given it a goal to fulfill. And the major goal that most people live under, one that runs whole family systems, almost runs whole cultures, is find me somebody to blame. And if you're in disturbance and if you're in upset and you live in that goal, find me someone to blame, then your mind will find someone to blame. And you'll notice if you look into the lives of those who, you know, they've given up on society, they go off and they become hermits. You notice that they do to themselves what they do to everybody else. They become pretty wacky and blame it on themselves. So you'll note that the forgiveness worksheet is a no-fault process. We're not looking to establish fault. We're not looking to establish who's to blame. What we're looking to do is to remove, especially the generational realities, but any reality that's based in hostility or fear from the mind. And when we remove it from the mind, because the mind is the body, we remove it from the body. If the dis-ease energy of a negative thought complex, a set of thought disorders, is removed from physiology where it's causing a particular chemical aberration or disease, chemistry of that tissue changes and the disease disappears. And then people say, well, wait a minute, Michael. Now, that's a physical thing, isn't it? Well, if we listen to Einstein, it's not. Einstein says, on such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. We don't live in a material world. We live in an energetic world. 
and mind energy, if we go to the opening words in the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. Not in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the mind energy. Whose mind energy becomes your flesh? Mine? No. My mind energy becomes my flesh. Your mind energy becomes your flesh. If there's an aberration in your flesh, then you need to start looking at what's going on in your mind and removing the underlying cause. Now, you'll notice that's not very well, well, it's hardly even conceived of in what we call the healing professions. And you'll notice that the healing professions, so-called healing professions, we should really rename them because they're not healing professions. Most of them are treatment professions. Oh, the mind energy you're holding in your, your big toe is causing the big toe disease? Well, I've got a drug for you. The mind energy that's causing the knees, kneecap disease in you? I have a drug. Oh, the mind energy that's causing the disorder in your lung, your liver, your heart, your brain? Oh, I have four different drugs, one for each of those. We can change that. We can treat that and make the appearance of it, the symptoms of it, go away. There, how do you like that? Is that great healing or what? Well, my offering is no, that's not healing at all. It's just symptom suppression. It's called treatment. Now, I'm not knocking treatment. Treatment can be really helpful. I mean, it can take people out of a lot of discomfort. But treatment can't heal. You need to put treatment where it's needed, and many times it's contraindicated. You want to put treatment in a category where the same time as treatment is offered, you're also offering healing. Most of the world wouldn't even know there's a difference between the two. They would use those two words interchangeably. Not if you've got the brain cells for how this energy system works. So recognizing that relative to this integrated energy system that we call a body-mind unit, there are basically two qualities of energy. There's that which lifts it up, and there's that which tears it down. Teardown energy, the ancient Aramaic, described teardown energy was the word sin. It's an archery term. Fire at the bullseye and you miss the bullseye, scorpio yells sin. You're off the mark. If you put an energy into the tissue structure that is off the mark, it will create a disease process. Until you remove that energy that's off the mark from the tissue, the disease process will continue. I don't care how many treats you give it. You notice that somebody had the ABC set of symptoms, and they were given the ABC drug, and now they need the XYZ drug and the MNO drug and the PQR drug. And 10 years from now, they'll tell them that they need the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. Remember one intensive we were at when we were talking about this principle. It was a gentleman at the intensive who got up. We were in a, a building that the bedrooms were in the uh, house that we were teaching in, the center we were teaching in. He went back to his room and he got a, uh, he picked up from his room a Walmart style bag, brought it in and dumped it out on the table. 
And if I remember correctly, about 30 bottles dropped out on the table out of that Walmart bag. And that's what he was taking every day. A year later, he was down to one of those sets of pills. Mind energy becomes flesh. You've got to become aware and responsible for the quality of your own mind energy and the perceptual constructs of your mind that result from it. When you do that, everything changes. We're here to support change on that gut level. This work is all about. And so, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? We do have a hand up, and I believe that awesome. it is David. We haven't heard from him in a long time. Area code 206, you're on the air. Welcome, good sir. Hey, Michael, how, how are you? I am well. I'm rocking. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I've been um, you know, I'm doing that codependence to interdependence, and um, I right. am making a lot of headway. Yeah, Tell us intensive. about it. What's yeah. happening? Uh, yes, a lot, a lot of stuff is opening up. A lot of the intensity behind and charging these beliefs or thoughts or these thought, thought clusters um, have really diminished, and I'm able to really get in there and change them and not, you know, do this blame um, situation that just does not produce any results at all a- anymore and it's really nice to kind of see i have the ability to make more choices in my life um and not just react and it is i mean it's doing the worksheets it's doing the mind shifters uh it's doing everything and in the beginning i was like you know just kind of the battering ram you know just getting the energy going and in the momentum and then now it's just uh doing it like more patiently and more thoughtful and sitting with it. And, but I've been um, really coming on because I was raised Catholic. Um, My mom's side is very, very Catholic. And I know I picked up these behaviors of like penance, self mastery through punishment and not allowing like good things to happen in my life, but, but always expecting some type of, other shoe to drop or some situation to um, disrupt things because I'm not worthy or worth it. And, you know, he's right. getting to a point where things are going to break through, then, you know, something happens. And, but, um, yeah, even though when those things do happen, I'm just like, you know, like a couple of days ago, I, I bought a brand new car a couple of months ago and I'm a couple of days ago, I'm driving on the highway and late at night coming home from work and there's all these semis on the highway and, something broke off the semi and just smashed the top of my roof. I mean, super loud. And, and it was just like, you know, I had this thought like, Oh, you know, you know, like, am I going to have to file a report on my insurance that I take a picture of the semi truck's license plate? And I was like, nah. And so I just kind of just pulled over, looked at it. There was like nothing big and just kind of moved on. And it wasn't like some type of, drama or something that triggered, you know, all these different associations and all these different things. It's just, I would have to say a lot of freedom and a lot of, lot more vitality and like living in the moment 
and stuff. It, it's been amazing, but I am at that point in that kind of that, uh, I think you call it um, like thought disorder where there's, I kind of feel like to me, like just these kind of thought clusters, they're all contradictions and they are kind of just chaotic a little bit. And, uh, but it's around penance and it's around like uh, blame, self blame. Um, but I've been kind of been, I've been doing that a lot through my life and it never produced any good results. It kind of almost like set me up just to be kind of like, you know, an easy scapegoat. But I feel that is shifting and changing. And it's like, it feels so great to finally, you know, get, get in touch with, you know, my true self that's always been there. What an awesome piece of work. Yeah, I mean, I've had like, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I've done so much therapy before in the past and all this meditation and yoga and Qigong and Nagong and all these different, and I know they've helped and they got me to a certain level and I did do the Course in Miracles and that was very, very helpful. But I just feel like you're this this modality, the, this system that you've, I don't even know if it's a system or I guess it is, call it, but it's just very effective. But even, I mean, my, my reactions are not, uh, I mean, they're like 20% where they were like 80% before. And um, I'm just very thankful. But I just wanted to call and like kind of let you know I haven't really been in touch with you about the process that I'm in and, and things like that. And, um, but yeah, if you have any advice on how to navigate through this kind of self mastery through, through self blame punishment, I would love to love to hear it. Well, the, uh, of course the, uh, the forgiveness of guilt, applying forgiveness where guilt comes forward, where self blame happens, there's a uh, a film, let's see, what was the name of it? There's a young man from India, and he's got a ship, and he's coming across the ocean, and, find, and there's the a lion on board of them. The story oh, of the Pi, life, yeah, right. Like the, tiger. the life of Pi. <laughs> yeah, that was good. One of the scenes that comes to, came to mind as you're saying that. There's a scene where he, you know, he's, he's come to America, and he's become Catholic, but he's been Hindu, and and so he he recognizes that being Hindu instead of just you know having God to be guilty in front of, he has millions of gods, <laughs> his Hindu gods to be <laughs> to be guilty in front of. It was kind of a hilarious scene to, to 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 hear that. And yeah, there is no place in the human experience for guilt unless. There's some kind of a controller that purposely instills guilt in people in order to keep a chain around their necks. Right. It's the same right. with fear. You know, you hear Yeshua, I think about 15 or 16 times in the New Testament, Yeshua says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And yet you hear preachers who tell you that fear is the beginning of wisdom. It's like, what, 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 what's, what's going on here? Right. And you know at that point that you're in front of falsity and and at least false interpretation, if not false intention. I think many people who are doing that are doing it because it's simply what they've had 
brainwashed into them. But it's time for us as human beings to be finished with, with fear, hostility, guilt, rage, grief, condemnation, gossip, slander. Time to be finished with all of that. And, of course, Yeshua gave the key tool to that, and that's it has to be forgiven. The energy and the, the energy impact behind it has to be removed. And once it is, well, then it's just a piece of information in the mind. It's not something that when it's triggered into activity, takes us over and, and runs us. So you're right on track. Just, you know, keep doing all of the above. Have you gone through yeah. as yet the, whole, the full 90 hours of the videos for the intensive? Um, I, I just that? got past. Oh, almost. I got past the the first still point breathing, and then on the on the right. next um, video. Um, I bet I've been like re-listening to them um, a couple times here and there. But I, I'm going. To, yeah, I'm, I'm almost done. But um, before in the past, my my pattern was to just muscle through it and just do it. This time, there's so much that is coming up that I'm allowing and giving the space and holding love and um, being patient with myself because uh, uh, at times I do get impatient and I kind of know that the results from that are not the best. Um, But I mean, there's, there's a lot coming up and it's coming up like smoothly. It's not like disruptive. It's, um, it's very, very nice to have that open up like that. Because uh, when I was living in Seattle before, I did like probably five years of EMDR. And I just remember doing this EMDR and <laughs> this disruption and things coming up and, and processing. And this is, to me, just way, way uh, uh, more harmonious and balanced and um, very effective. And, and, uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I went through a lot coming back to here in Indiana. and um, Right. I mean, well, it, it was all to good. To me, that tool all, of all forgiveness this. is where where it all happens. That's really the whole crux and core of it. For sure. For sure. And, um, and just, I've been, been, I did the forgiveness worksheets a long time ago, then I would kind of come back. But now, there, there there's a lot to it, a lot that is being revealed and to mature and and to um, open up to. I mean, is I mean, my girlfriend is doing them, and she's very scientific and like very literal, and we kind of walk through them together, and it's amazing just watching things clicking in her, and because she's very afraid of looking at what's in the unconscious and I'm kind of right. like the opposite. I'll like storm the gates and take the hinges off and so I, I kind of slow down doing that and um, I find it's more effective than trying to muscle my way and, you know, storm the gates and feel like I need to run the other way because I'm so overwhelmed. But um, right. Well, you'll notice that, you know, each time you redo an hour, and, and you could literally do every one of those 90 hours 10 times over, and each time yeah. they'll take on a new meaning as you build a new set of brain cells, and the mind is able to construct a more complete picture of what's being said. But 
it, it can be said a thousand times, but until somebody's got the brain cells, the mind can't replicate it, can't make sense of it. And each time you build a new set of brain cells, like, oh, that's what that, that's what that means. I actually had that experience uh, just the last night. There's a, uh, a workshop that I did about 35 years ago. Best I can tell, it was about 35 years ago, and it was, was recorded, and it's a, a video called The Introduction to Advanced Understanding of A Course in Miracles. And the uh, Global Book Club, Hear My Voice Global Book Club out of London, England, I don't know if you know, but we've been doing the Why Is This Happening to Me Again book with them for over a year now. And they were getting ready to start the course. And she hadn't, you know, the woman who runs the book club hadn't done so she asked if I'd, you know, do an introduction and Mm -hmm. decided to do that correlation of material that's presented in that uh, uh, introduction to advanced understanding. So the night before last... Jeannie and I watched it. It's the first time I've watched it in 35 years. And I sat there, and I was blown away. It's like, oh, my God, I understood that back 35 years. Wow, that's, oh, my God, that's awesome. Wow, does that ever come together <laughs> nicely? I didn't know I did that. <laughs> so, and actually, uh, anybody who happens to be listening at uh, at 3.30 today, we're going to be doing that book club it's 8.30 in London, England, where the book club exists, but we're going to be doing it, and Janie, I'm sure we'll put a link in the notes if anybody wants to join us. What we've decided to do, because I was going to just originate that lesson again, but then after watching the video, I went back to the woman who runs the book club and said, you know, I don't know if I could do that video again as well as I did it back then. So why don't we just watch the video and then do a Q&A? So we're actually going to watch that uh, Introduction to Advanced Understanding of A Course in Miracles at 3.30 Eastern Time on a Zoom call. And if anybody wants to join us, uh, go to the notes, and Jeannie will have a link there. Just click on it and join us at 3.30 Eastern Time. And uh, we'll we'll probably have a two, maybe even a a two-and-a-half-hour session, depending on the Q&A goes, so if anybody wants to join us. But yeah, the uh, that key is so, you know, you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and, you know, we've all heard the quote that said, you know, this is only for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And you go, well, what the heck does that mean? Well, recognize it's got to have the brain cells, and if you don't have them, your mind can't structure a reality about anything it doesn't have brain cells for. And uh, so each time you build a new layer, a new level, the the mind can come up with a whole new depth and complexity of understanding that just, you know, advances us forward. So glad to hear that's impacting your world. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Do you have any advice for anybody that's listening? From the experience, um, I, you know, all the therapy you've done, the EMDR, all of those things, and then coming to this with, you know, a whole different uh, um, healing process that yeah. you're doing. Do you have any input for yeah, anybody? Yeah, I would. I would have to say, yeah. I mean, I I have been through a lot of trauma, and you know, when I did talk to the therapist, they're like, "Oh my God, how did you live?" And they wanted to write books, and a lot of times during the therapy, they'll turn the therapy and start treating me as a therapist and stuff like that. But I wasn't like getting anywhere because a lot of it was to blame your parents and blame this and blame that and become stronger and better than them and all of that type of stuff. It wasn't really 
I wasn't getting like really anywhere. And I just had somebody on my side, you know, encouraging me to do that, you know, and I, in a way I was like, you know, I, I have to drop this eventually. I have to like really just say, okay, this is in my thoughts and it's not happening anymore and all of this. But when coming to this work, I mean, it's like super like effective like unusual. I'm like, my girlfriend's like really amazed. Like she's like, oh my gosh. Cause I, you know, I went through this, I renovated my house. I, you know, the contractor that I had was, you know, I had to like put him in jail and sue him and, and, and do all this stuff. And then I was going through a divorce and just, I had like, and my grandma died and changed her careers. I just had so much, but it was like the perfect key to unlock the very deep stuff. And then I happened again on, on, on your work and it just really cleared it up. Like I, I, I'm just amazed. It's like a miracle. But if someone does have a lot of trauma and it's like, you know, they have disturbing thoughts and emotions and they just can't rest or sleep and they can't heal and everything's doom and gloom. I believe doing the codependence, the interdependence, is so effective that I, mean, I I I don't have the words to describe it. I'm I mean I I I thought going through union analysis would do it and and all these different things, but it was just so fast and quick. But it was like really processing it. It wasn't like shoving it down or denying it. It, it was I can't I keep telling people about this and they, you know, and like what you said, they, you know, some people might not have the brain cells to really understand and it's very foreign. So I will just right. kind of just say, Hey, you know, check out this YouTube video or in this, this introduction. And, and I, I just tell them just listen to it over and over and over again and just do the worksheets and just pause here and there, but don't think you have to figure it out. Because that'll drive you nuts. And yes, I that is. Yeah. <laughs> the number one yeah. solution to the non-B mind, if I could just figure this out. Yeah. You can't figure it out, it, but you I, can forgive it. Yes, yes, yes. And and it's just amazing when you do, or when touching on, like, realizing, you know, who does have the power and who's holding the power, and it is my choice or decision in my mind to make these these shifts and to and to say that you know I, I'm generating my own perception and my own story and um, and there is not given up power and there you know and I did struggle for a while the fine line of like you know is there boundaries or how do I not become a doormat and all this type of stuff I mean you could still say no people that are harmful or being abusive sure and but you you don't have to um engage into an endless relationship and all these types of things or leave in resentment or hostility um but yeah i i i'm just amazed i think that, yeah that this is i'm so glad that you you know came upon the kaboras and you took that um so responsibility am I. so am I. Yeah, you know, yeah. over the last forty plus years that I've been t- 
teaching the Aramaic forgiveness process, that worksheet, basically, it always, always just boggles my mind when people <laughs> take that step of canceling the goal that's driving this whole perception and what they get to drop into and touch into that's underneath the surface. Yeah. And that's really the key to the whole thing is, can I take yeah. this little sucker out of hiding and bring it out in the full light of present love? And if I do, bingo, it disappears. It yeah. dissolves. And, you know, it's yeah. just, there's nothing else I know of that, that you can do that with. It's just, and, I, and I love what the Course of Miracles says about forgiveness. It says it's the only single-edged sword. Yeah. Everything else yeah. can be turned against us, or we can turn against ourselves. But forgiveness simply cleans up the mess. So glad it's working for you. Glad you're doing it. Glad you're committed and moving through it. That's awesome, sir. Fabulous. Yeah, thank you very much. It, and um, you have a good day. And what I'll do is I'll keep in contact here and there and just update you and awesome. you know, and do the same. Keep going on. We're on it. Every okay. mind, heart, and being Thank on the you. planet. All right, sir. Hey, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Blessings. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So, Miss Jeannie, we've got about uh, 10 minutes or so left. Do we have anybody else out there in the phone queue with a hand up? or? We do. So, it's area code 480. I think it's Cecilia. Welcome. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, uh, Michael. Hey, welcome, you young lady. Hey, Jeannie, are you, how are you doing? I am much better, thank you. I still have a little bit of hoarseness and okay. just a tiny bit of sore throat, but I am definitely on the other side. Thanks. Uh, that is so cool. Okay, well, you guys are great partners, and, and, and because of both of you, I've opened up my heart to allow somebody in and to be... To be, as the mm. commitment says, to stand in the space of love for somebody else, and to open up Sweet. my space, open my space for to be love for somebody, space of love. Hey, um, so I'm doing worksheets and I'm doing mind shifters and I'm doing on a multiple level of different things and I'm doing the intensive and I love it and. My house still isn't sold, and I just got off the phone with my realtor, and I said, what's going on? It's down to four ninety nine now, and she said, yeah, all the realtors that are in my organization say it should have sold, and there's houses down the street that are 10 houses down the street from mine that just got on the market for 775000 okay? And the only difference is they have a casita in the backyard or they have a pool in the backyard uh, or mm. something, you know, and, and so... I I'm, I I want to know what I need to do about doing more worksheets or some something to keep me keep me breathing and keep me um, keep me uh, seeing the truth. Okay. Well, um, in in regard to you know how would you do a worksheet? This is the question I'm hearing. How would I do a worksheet around the house? And so okay. obviously. You're looking at, you know, that's the situation that brings up concern or I don't know exactly what it is. You didn't label it, but I sort of label it as concern. So how do I process through the concern would be I'd look at, well, what's the goal? You know, I want the goal is maybe to have the this goal. Money because I'm, 
I'm dwindling down to very, very little money left in what I spent. Ah, okay. I didn't expect this to happen. Right. And I don't have I don't have a job and I'm not I'm not and I don't get social security and I I I right. really I really need I need money to 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 live on. So then I'd start doing uh, worksheets where that's the goal. You know, if it's the sale of a house, it's the object of attention, or, or maybe it's your bills that are the object of attention, or maybe a, another shade of it is, yes. you know, I want the realtor to perform, and that could relate back to a but power person dynamic amazing. of. I know she's doing amazing. I I, I, mm-hmm. I, I know that I'm not even going to give it words. I'm not even going to give it words to give it life. It. I'm not going to. Okay. okay. Yeah. So that's where I'd start. That would be the next round of worksheets that I would do. Yes, I've got, would I've got be, a lot of property tax bills and stuff coming up. It's a, it's it's a, probably a hydra, or I don't know if it's okay. So I'll just another thing, another uh, another kind of intuitive hit that I get is what another tool that you might use that might help to, it'll kind of act like a mind shifter and help to open some spaces that might be helpful for you to look at, is imagine, or or not imagine, sit down with pen and paper and write a letter to the person who bought the house. Oh, I love it. Thanking thanking them for what that's going to do for you and explaining to them how deeply the house is going to serve them, how much they're going to enjoy it, and what a great thing it's going to be for them and for you. And that Thank will you. tend to you know, act kind of like a mind shifter to resonate. If there's, if there's some other place in you that's holding this up, that might, but by making that really deeply detailed, like, you know, right well, down to I the... Well, I can tell you I did something similar, a smaller letter that I'm standing as a space of love and support for them. Okay. I did, I did that. Okay. And that... Right. Um, so, so... What did that, that bring up for question? you? I loved it. I want to be a stand yeah. as a space of love and support for people. Right. So, you know, because, you know, one of the things that you might detail in the letter is how that money's serving you because now you can take care of these tax bills and do, 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 and you're going to be able to do this and that. And, and yeah. again, treating it like a mind shifter, just paying attention to your mind as you write that okay. or even the slightest negative thought that surfaces and then turn that into a worksheet. So that might be an, uh, another uh, tool, set of way to approach the forgiveness process and the healing around this whole issue. Yeah. So you're saying do this as a mind shifter and then turn it into a letter. Well, either way, I was thinking in terms, you know, my initial thought was just to write a very detailed letter and okay. and just pay attention to your mind as you would with a mind shifter. And as you're writing it, watch what comes up and see what other hooks there are in your mind that might be um, be blocking it. Yes, I hear you. Okay, you guys, okay. thank you. You're you're cool. <laughs> Honored and delighted. I'm holding the space. <laughs> Talk to you later. All right, blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. So our calling number, and if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you dial that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, 
we'll be having a conversation. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anybody in the phone queue? Uh, no, it's all quiet. And what it, it resonated for me, and I don't have time, we've only got three minutes to read it today, so perhaps I'll read it tomorrow after we do the reading out of Michael Singer. But it uh, talking about how we can get immersed into the movie and everything and all of our senses, we can also use all of our senses to pull ourselves back out of that movie too once we're like locked in and lost in a situation. And actually yes. I have a chapter in my book uh, around that. And so perhaps I'll share that tomorrow. That would be cool. I would love for you to share, share a chapter in your book, sweetie. It would be awesome. Okay. Fabulous. The two All minutes. right, well, we'll look forward to that tomorrow. And in the meantime, everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. And blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.